Valentine's Day, my misfit friends, and you know what that means. Love is in the air everywhere I look around. I'm not going to sing the song, I promise, although I could. Um, But it only seems fitting to talk about love and marriage on this festive occasion. But of course we have to do it misfit style, which means we got to talk about the awkward side of love. You know, loving our fellow misfits and marriage. And we are in for a treat today, as a matter of fact, because on the line right now is someone to talk to us through some of that awkwardness. Her name is Karen Eman, and she is a New York Times best-selling author, oh, nothing but the best for you people, Proverbs 31 speaker and writer for First 5 devotional app, which reaches over 2 million people every single day. Oh, and aside from all that, she wrote a book just for us, and it's called Keep Showing Up, How to Stay in Love When Your Love Drives You Crazy. So welcome to the Isle of Misfits, Karen. Thanks so much for having me, Nancy. I'm happy to be here. We are super duper excited to have you on this day of all days. I mean, you know, it's good every single day, but there's just something about Valentine's Day when, you know, we're just, we're thinking love and marriage, right? And um, it's it's a many splendored thing. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, indeed. Um, but, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. I think I heard that in a movie once, and that is the case with marriage. So I'm going to stop talking in just a moment here, and I want to hear I want to hear all kinds of wisdom because I have high expectations. I know you've got it. I know you're going to deliver. But um, before... Before we get into that, you know about our tradition. We, we talked about it. We got a little tradition here. So um, we have a tailor-made game just for you. It's a stupid game because that's the only type of games we play here. How would you like to play a stupid game with me? I will give it my best shot. Okay. All right. Your best is that's more than enough. That's all we can ask. So, so here's your <laughs> stupid game. Your stupid game, of course, is going to be about marriage because that's what we're talking about today. So all you got to do... You're going to name that famous married couple. So I'm going to give you a couple. I'm going to describe who they are. And you're going to tell me who I'm talking about. All right. right? Okay. Okay. (laughs) You can do this. Okay. So our first couple. Our first couple has been married for 11 years. Actually, no, not has been. They were married. So that's the first time. They're, They're no longer with us, but they were married for 11 years. They were the leading duo of golden era film. And they had a 25-year age difference between us. Um, And I'll tell you, if I tell you their famous movie, you'll probably know right away. Um, So I will. Uh, Casablanca? So uh, was it? I'll I'll even give you a multiple choice if you need it. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to need it. I'm not a big movie person, so I'm going to need it. All right. Was it Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall? Was it Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn or Lucy and Ricky Ricardo? Okay, it's either A or B, and I'm going to go with... uh, You're going to go with... A. A, yes! Okay. (laughs) You are absolutely right. It was Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Yes, they both starred in Casablanca, which I only saw like a few years ago. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, and yeah, it's a classic movie. So, all right. Excellent. All right, one down, two to go. See? See how easy this is? All right. Number two couple. They have been married for over... 
30 years. They met on the set of his first TV show back in the day. It was called Bosom Buddies. I remember this show. Um, he's become a huge star. She's a pretty big star, too. She was even, at le- um, she was even um, in at least one of his movies, which uh, was Sleepless in Seattle. So I know you said you're not a big movie person, but I'm a, am I talking about Tom Hanks and Nancy Wilson? Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson or Tom Hanks and Rita Coolidge? Okay, it's Tom Hanks and his wife, I can tell you that. Exactly, and I think, yes. I think it's Rita Wilson. <laughs> I think right? you're right. I think okay. you're, yes, Nan- <laughs> I threw you with Nancy Wilson. I think she was in heart. Um, yes, but Tom Hanks for sure. So, yeah, they are, they, are, they are probably one of the longest married couples in Hollywood right now. Mm-hmm. Which is good. It proves it can be done. All right. Our third couple, this is a power couple, like a real power couple. They have been married since 1993, and they could not be more different. She, a staunch conservative, and he is as dyed-in-the-wool liberal as you can get, and yet somehow they make it all work. Who is this unlikely match? Is it James Stewart and Mary Martin? Is it Queen Mary and whoever her husband was? Or is it Mary Matlin and James Carville? It's C. You are correct. C, <laughs> I knew you knew a lot about marriage, but now it's official. You are the expert. <laughs> How fun. Congratulations. And just for playing, you get your very own Isle of Misfits mug sent to you via some sort of postal service. So, <laughs> And that's for real. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thanks for playing. You did a great job. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I guess I did that last couple kind of to springboard. They're a good segue to get into the uh, this whole topic of, you know, showing up for your marriage. Uh, one of, when you talk about opposites attracting, doesn't get much more opposite than, you know, James and, and Mary with their, their uh, political views. But it's so much more than political views. You know, one of your bylines, I love it, is opposites attract, but opposites can also attack. So um, talk to us a little bit about about that. Why is marriage so stinking difficult anyway? Well, first, when it comes to the whole opposites attract thing, this is what I think happens, because this is what I've seen happen in my marriage and a lot of marriages I've observed over the year, over the years. So the Things you love about your spouse, when you first meet them, you're first dating, you're engaged, you, you know, all of those qualities that you think are their strengths, later on can be the exact things that drive you crazy because we let our strengths morph into weaknesses when we don't keep them in check. For example, my husband loved how I could talk. He's kind of more of a laid back and shy guy. And he loved when he met me in college how I could talk. He said, you could work a room, make the shy ones feel included, talk to everybody from the college president to the boy bagging groceries down at the A&P grocery store. You know, I loved how you could talk. But about three days into our honeymoon, he wondered to himself, like, when is she ever going to shut up? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get a kick out of this, Nancy. He's already told me, should I go before he does? He knows what he's going to put on my tombstone. Oh, I have to know. A period. Because <laughs> I'll finally be not talking. So, so my strength uh, being a beautiful. good well, my strength of being a good communicator and good at conversation can morph into a weakness, and it drives me crazy. Now, on the flip side, with him, one thing I loved about him is he is so easygoing, laid back, agreeable. You know, doesn't really care where we're going to eat or go see a movie. You know, what movie we're going to see when we're in college. Just 
whatever you decide. I loved that setup. He's so laid back. But about three months into our marriage, when something needed to be done around the apartment and he didn't take care of it, I started to see his laid backness as being passive. In fact, whenever I felt like he was being passive, it made me get aggressive. So I used to joke that we had a passive aggressive marriage, but it really I loved how you put that. Yes. Well, it was really one of those strengths that he had that when it is not in check, it can lead to being indecisive. So those things that first attracted us to our spouse can sometimes be the place where we attack because we let our strengths morph into weaknesses and now it causes some friction. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm picking up some similar themes. I'm the talker for sure in my marriage. Um, and I think my husband would love that, uh, that idea. He might, he might adopt that for my tombstone, <laughs> should I go before him. But yeah, he's, he's the quiet one. And I wouldn't, you know, he's, he's pretty decisive, but he's pretty quiet. So that makes for an interesting dynamic mm. <laughs> in our marriage. Well, and you know, and it's funny. So, all right. You know, we get this idea of marriage, right? It's supposed to, you know, this picture, I think maybe Pinterest and Instagram have contributed to this, you know, this this picture of this endless slumber party, right? With And I don't know, in my mind, I see the, the dangly exposed light bulbs hovering over a clawfoot tub in an open meadow, like a Viagra commercial, you know, and reading chocolate-covered strawberries and dancing to Van Morrison music or whatever, you know, like this romantic, just always fun, always whatever. I mean, maybe that's just me, but... um. You know, I, I think for you, I, I, I think you had mentioned it was Barbie and Ken, right? You know, playing Barbie dolls. This is what marriage is like. Yes, yes. We get these ideal setups in our mind of how the scenario is going to go when we get married. And then it leads nowhere to disappointment because we can't ever replicate those imaginary perfect scenarios we've crafted in our mind, whatever that looks like. And I think this day and age of social media only makes it worse because no longer is it just a television or movie screen where we're getting ideas about what a perfect marriage and a gorgeously romantic setup looks like, but we get it from the other screens in our life now, our phones, our iPads, our computers, where we see things on the internet or social media and we compare our marriage the reality of our marriage to what the appearance of their marriage is and we fall short and it makes us discouraged. Oh, and that's such a good point because, yeah, back in the day, you at least had to get up and go to the movies and, all right, so for two hours you're immersed in this fantasy world or, or maybe reading a book. But now, like you said, it's everywhere. You mm-hmm. know, our phones are everywhere with us. So everywhere we go, like you said, it's crafting an image of what this perfect relationship is supposed to look like. It it is, and it seems like everyone else has a better marriage than us if they're posting pictures of a romantic, expensive dinner. And of course, the wife has strategically placed her hand with her upgraded diamond ring in the in the photograph. Of and course, it, and it seems like their marriage is more romantic than yours. Or maybe it's nothing fancy and expensive, but you see a couple post something fun. I don't know on Facebook or something, and they're cleaning out the garage together, but they're goofing around and they're having fun, and they seem yes. to get along. And it seems like they have a more harmonious relationship. And we look at all these marriages who seem to have it better than us. And then we start coming apart at the seams because it seems like we don't measure up and it can lead to a lot of dangerous thinking when we start to either compare ourselves and think, Oh, must be nice. Or we try to mimic someone else's marriage by what we see rather than 
letting God write our own love story, whatever that looks like with our personality types and our, you know, misfit ways, letting him craft our marriage rather than trying to replicate what we see on a screen. Oh gosh. And that sounds great. Doesn't it? I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody that wouldn't embrace that idea like that. Cause that's what we all want. We're wired for connection. We long for it, but somewhere it's like we, there's a breakdown. Okay. I know what I want. I know what makes me happy. But how do we get there? And, you know, you talk about three greatest areas of conflict in marriage. So, yeah, talk, talk a little bit about that with us. Well, you know, if you ask people, um, which I actually did before I wrote the book, I did a survey with over a thousand women and asked them what their what they felt like their greatest areas of conflict in marriage were like, not what they actually thought, but what they have heard said by experts. Mm-hmm. Or when they read about a lot of people said things like, Oh, I've always heard it's finances or no, no, it's sex. Or um, maybe it's parenting. You disagree on how to raise the kids. If you have them, um, some wrap it up all in communication. Like our communication is the, the greatest area of conflict. And I think that one probably for me gets the closest But what I really feel like after seeing this in my own marriage for over three decades are the greatest areas of conflict because they derail our communication are three things I actually learned once when my husband was a youth pastor and we had a counselor, a Christian counselor come in to talk to the teens about getting along with their parents. But I was taking copious notes because it it related so much to marriage. And the three things that that person said that I've never forgotten that cause the greatest conflict are these emotional baggage, Mm. unmet expectations, and untrue perceptions. So emotional Mm. baggage, you know, emotional baggage is those things we have dragged into our marriage from the past. We're standing, looking at each other. We each have our suitcase, but I don't know what's in my husband's baggage and he doesn't know what's in mine, but maybe in your past you were called a name or somebody said something that hurt you. And so you drag that up in, in your mind when you're interacting with your spouse and your spouse doesn't even know that you do it. I'll give you a quick example. My husband, and he wouldn't care that I share this with you, he has dyslexia and he has done a great job with it, got a lot of therapy when he was younger, bless his parents. They used grocery money to get him some help when he was in school. But he has always just felt a little bit like, oh, I'm, I'm not very smart. He remembers a teacher telling his parents in front of him that he'll probably never amount to more than a gas station attendant. Okay. So one day we're having a discussion and I thought he was, he was saying he didn't know something that I thought for sure he knew. And I said, Oh, come on, quit playing dumb with me. And Mm -hmm. all I met, trigger, right. All I met was, come on, you know, come on, you know what I'm talking about. Well, he acted different the rest of the day. And later I said, what did I do? Are you mad at me? And he said, well, you called me stupid. And I said, when did I do that? Well, he had baggage from his past. Okay, so that's emotional baggage. Second one is unmet expectations. I grew up in a home. Maybe some of your listeners can relate. My dad and my brother could fix anything. They could fix anything. My brother in the fourth grade could take apart an entire dishwasher and put it back together blindfolded, I think. I mean, he's just, he's a mechanic but today. He's, he's great at that. My husband didn't roll that way. And when we were first married and the faucet started dripping and he said to me, the faucet's dripping, who do I call? I thought, who do you call? You go down to the hardware store and get a washer and here, just let me do it. So he didn't meet my expectations of what I thought a quote unquote good husband was like around the house. And and the 
that's my husband's favorite saying to me, by the okay. way, is lower your lower your expectations. Yes. Just had to throw that yes. in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then the third thing is untrue perceptions. We, oh my goodness, we do this all the time. At least this is the one that I do all the time. I assign mm-hmm. a motive to mm-hmm. my husband's actions, his words, whatever, that's not even true because I have an untrue perception. For example, when he so sweetly texts me and says, do you need anything at the grocery store? I'll swing by on my way home because I work from home. He works outside home. And I say, yes, I need creamer, half and half for my coffee. And he comes home and he puts the creamer on the counter and I see the words on the side, fat free. <laughs> and I in my I know where this is going. Yeah, so he probably <laughs> wishes I were a little more fat free as well. And I assign a motive. <laughs> or um, maybe I am with him and we run into a coworker of his this actually happened at the department store, and we talked to that coworker for over five minutes, and my husband never introduces me. And I'm thinking, oh, it's because I'm in my sweatpants and my sweatshirt, and my hair is unwashed. I have none, no makeup, and my hair is in a ponytail. He's embarrassed by my looks, and he bought me fat free creamer. He probably thinks fat. <laughs> and I'm assigning all these motives, these untrue perceptions. I perceive from his behavior something that is untrue. You know what I found out later? He couldn't remember the guy's name, and he was embarrassed. I knew it. Did you get yes, it? I knew it. I'm, yes. I'm laughing because I'm living this life right along with you, just so oh, you know. Funny. We're, we're fellow misfits, huh? But, oh, absolutely. But we, we, we get these emotional baggage situations, these unmet expectations we have, and especially these untrue perceptions, and it makes our communication all wonky because we start thinking A is happening when really it's B. But we never stop long enough to go, hey, hey wait a second. I, I just have to ask you something. When you just said that, I thought, uh, the way I heard it was that you meant this. Is that what you meant? And often, if we would just stop and address it right then, we could keep the conversation and the communication from spiraling downward because we would be dispelling some of these, these three things right from the get-go. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I, I love these things. I mean, I don't love experiencing, you know, the emotional baggage and the unmet expectations and all that. But I think, I think this is spot on because to circle back to what you, you originally were saying that you were asking people, you know, what do you think the conflicts are? Finances, sex, communication. Well, as you said, all those are conflicts because of the way we approach them because of our baggage because of our expectations because of our of our untrue perception bingo think, mm-hmm. yeah. yep yeah yeah so this is really good stuff and you know you you also talk about uh, you use the term sandpaper uh <laughs> in reference to our spouse so yeah so we're grading against each other right so i i think that kind of speaks to why we have conflict because we're like sandpaper sandpaper so yeah talk a little bit about that well sometimes your spouse just rubs you the wrong way they're like sandpaper but when you think of what the function of sandpaper is it's to rub off rough edges and to make things smooth and to make them not only functional functional but to make them beautiful and if instead of trying to run from the conflict and the friction and the things that rub us the wrong way we embrace it and say, okay, Lord, you knew what you were doing when you put me with this sandpaper spouse of mine. Help this relationship with my 
earthly spouse make me more like my heavenly father help it rub me in a way that produces patience or makes me extend grace or kindness and forgiveness more often we need to get our eyes off of our spouse and their behavior that irritates us and instead get our eyes on our relationship with god and say how are you using this relationship to grow me spiritually Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, all right, so I'm going to do a little true confession here because I I'll tell you, yeah, I want that. You look at my journal or even listen to my, you know, my prayers. I can, I can journal and pray with the best of them and really, truly want those beautiful things. And my heart is in the right place. But I got to tell you what, Karen, when it comes to actually the practical application of it that's when it gets hard so what does that look like what are some of the ways we can love our sandpaper spouses well it's again really making sure that you're in it for your spiritual growth and not to change your spouse because i think a lot of times that's we got that goal wrong, right? So we're in it to grow spiritually, but we do, part of growing spiritually is becoming a more and more loving person and showing love to our spouse. So um, I actually came up with a list of 10 different things that you can do to kind of show love to your sandpaper spouse, but but I'm just going to give just a couple. Um, Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause then yeah. Yeah, a sneak peek. Yeah. Time travel, yeah. time travel. Let your mind wander back to when you first met and fell in love with your spouse reminisce about those things that first attracted you to them and then tell them whether it's in person or you know send them a, a text or write them a note or write with lipstick on your mirror whatever just say one thing i appreciate about you is whatever fill in the blank we probably talked about that early on but over the years we've forgotten about it um maybe take a trip down memory lane and bring up his childhood ask him some silly questions like what was your favorite board game or toy or what was your favorite tv show try to dig into his past a little bit and just have a little fun with him and also i like to just leave little notes and little treats for my my spouse just so he knows that i'm thinking about him and um and then finally always ask them how can i be praying for you this week because you know if you're not praying for your spouse who is who is right Right. I think that that one all by itself is is a game changer. Mm -hmm. You know, I once read a statistic praying for our spouses and praying with our spouses. I I read a statistic a couple of years ago that it was just astounding that couples that pray together reduce their chances of divorce by like over 90 over 90 percent or something, you know, something like that sounds crazy, but the stats bore it out. So the power of prayer. Yeah, I remember hearing that same statistic years ago and thinking exactly like, wow, that's amazing. But we don't think to do it. I mean, I think you kind of think, oh, you're saying my, you know, my now I lay me down to sleep, Lord, and uh, bless my spouse. But how often do we go to them and say, how can I be praying for you? And then just stop right then and pray with them. Right. Yeah, yeah. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. All right, here's a quote. I love this. This one just jumped out at me. Your marriage is a message, and people are watching you preach. Yes, yes. And see, it goes back to what I was saying before, that that we get our eyes on our spouse, and we're looking to him or her to make us happy, rather than looking at our relationship with God. And, and what I love about my relationship with God, the gospel, that, that God has given his son so that I can have eternal life and I can respond to that gospel 
that is the biggest, most important thing in my life. But second to that is knowing that my marriage was created not to make me happy, not to meet all my needs, but to show that same gospel to the watching world. When people see me keep showing up, keep loving, keep forgiving, keep wiping the slate clean, behaving toward my spouse the same way God behaves toward me, it gives those in our life a glimpse of the gospel. Amen. Amen to that. That is such good stuff. And we have literally just scratched the surface because there's so much more. There's just so much encouragement and wisdom. Um, I just, yeah, I just got to tell the world that they need to get this book. So, Karen, how do we get, how do we get a hold of your book? How do we find you? Well, my website has all the information that they will need, and it's KarenEman.com. And I'm going to spell Eman. It's E H. And then man, M-A-N. And they can also go to keepshowingupbook.com, and that will get them directly to the book and all the different places that it is for retailers. And it doesn't come out for a couple weeks. We've got a lot of free bonuses that they get if they pre-order the book. They get a lot of freebie things, date night questions, and different fun things for the marriage. Excellent. So a great Valentine's Day idea. Pre-order the book and get bonuses. There you go. There you go. Oh, well, Karen, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I can't wait to get the word out about this um, and just so excited for this message that you have. And I, for one, am going to commit to be a better sandpaper spouse because so, I know I need it too. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me today. It's been my pleasure. So, yeah, I guess you could go the flowers and candy route. But if you really want to show that special someone how much you really care, I think you should pre-order Karen's book. And you can do that by visiting her at KarenEman.com. That's Karen, E-H-M-A-N.com. And while you're there, check out her website. She's an author, a speaker, and a gospel clinger. It says so right on her homepage. And you can also check out Us Misfits on the isleofmisfits.com that's I-S-L-E of misfits.com for more of these here great interviews with amazing people blog posts and even a few surprises here and there and oh by the way if you share this podcast or sign up to follow me on isleofmisfits.com you'll be entered to win your very own misfit mug oh yes yes they are destined to become collector's items I'm just saying spread the word to your friends and I'll enter you twice. How's about that? So, happy Valentine's Day. In fact, it's the perfect day to own your awkward, love your fellow misfit, and look for beauty and truth everywhere.